This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to the Charles Russell Speechley's podcast, following the story of Chris, a Brit, and Sam from the US. We explore issues faced by this international couple and their businesses and assets in a US to UK cross-border context. Before their happily ever after, there's a lot they need to think about. And we will stay with them in good times and in bad. Hello, my name is Sangana Chohan and I am a partner in our tax, trust and succession team. Today I will be speaking to Alice Martin, who also specialises in tax and estate planning for US-UK clients. Thanks for joining me, Alice. Thank you for having me. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about Chris and Sam and what their estate planning might look like. So just giving everyone a little bit of a flavour of the types of issues they might be facing. So starting with the very basics, Chris and Sam are quite young, they're not yet married and they have no children. Do they really need wills? Yes. Chris and Sam are about to embark on life together as an international family. They've got assets in the US and in the UK and some of those assets include shares in a successful family business. So a will is a really crucial document that allows them to decide how they want their assets to pass on death and who's going to deal with carrying out their wishes. It's a good idea to put in place wills now, which will be flexible so they can cater for future changes, for example, if they do have children later on. And we should stop and say, well, what happens if they don't make any wills? So if they've got no wills at all or if they had old wills, which will be automatically revoked by their marriage, then the intestacy rules will dictate where their assets pass. And that may not be at all what they want. So here it could involve both the US and the UK's intestacy rules, and that can complicate matters. So in the UK, for example, the intestacy rules can end up creating a tax charge by passing a portion of the assets to children on a first death, if by this time they'd had children putting in place a will can avoid that. Also, because Sam is American, it's worth checking if there are any marital property regimes that might apply. That's really interesting. And I suppose you probably have um, a very similar experience to me in that because we also get involved on the probate side of things, we can see how things go wrong. So it's all very well being very, very practical Mm -hmm. about doing things. But then seeing how things go wrong if a will is out of date or hasn't been updated or they haven't made a will and actually the incredible complications that that can cause and you might you know I'm sure you've got many examples just like I do that I've just recently been acting for a Danish chap well the estate of a Danish chap who who died having made a will but because he was only 27 he didn't really think it mattered it wasn't really good enough mm. he'd recently inherited a significant estate and the will just wasn't good enough and the amount of heartache we've had to go through with the family to get things done right which could all have been avoided I suppose if they just put in place the right will at the right time regardless of his age. Absolutely it, even even younger clients need it um, but older clients when they start thinking oh well, I'm going to deal with this and then life moves on it's really important to physically know where it is. I had a really difficult case last year where someone had done a will, but it was 20 years ago, they couldn't find it. And when they found it, it was water damaged and the signature was completely illegible. So actually trying to deal with that can become difficult. So do a will, know where it is, 
keep it safe. And of course, lawyers are probably as bad as anyone else, because even though I know I have made a will, I have literally no idea where it is. So <laughs> we should talk point. about that after. <laughs> we should talk about that afterwards. Um, so, right, they're going to make a will. I mean, people talk about wills all the time, but just going back really to basics, what what is a will and what should go in it? Well, this isn't specific, of course, to US, UK issues, but quick recap, what do you need to put into your wills? Well, the will is the legal document that's going to create the framework. Um, you need to have a choice of executors. Those are the people who want to take the estate administration um, and you'll choose your trustees. If you're going to have trusts in your will, those are often the same people, but they don't have to be. You also need to think about who you want to benefit and if you want to make any gifts. Although I mentioned the will being the legal framework can have a lot of legal jargon in it. And it's really important structurally that's correct. If there are specific and personal wishes about gifts, usually we recommend that's put in a separate accompanying letter of wishes, which is not a legally binding, binding document, but it's something which can be updated as a much more informal and um, flexible document. Um, and when family circumstances change, you can update that without having to go through the rigmarole of entirely redoing the wills. It also ensures much more privacy because ultimately a will becomes a public document after death and after grant of probate. So having personal thoughts and guidance in a letter of wishes is something we almost always recommend. Um, <laughs> so one final thing, um, if they're not married yet, we'd want to make sure that their wills are made in contemplation of marriage, which means that these new wills we're doing for them are not going to be revoked when they get married, which otherwise happens automatically. Now, Sam has uh, expressed surprise, I suppose, at, at all of this talk of wills. I think she's been mm. speaking to her family in California who don't really worry about wills. They've just stuck everything into a revocable trust during their lifetime. And um, in doing so, they're hoping that they can avoid probate and things will just be really streamlined. Is that is that something that Sam should be thinking about, that she can just ignore all of this and do whatever she, whatever her family have been doing and just carry on without the will? It, it's a really common question for US clients to ask, because in the US, typically people do have their assets held in a revocable lifetime trust because the course of going through grant of probate in America and in particular states can be really, really difficult. So it's very common practice to instead have this revocable lifetime trust, which kicks in basically as a substitute for a will on death. But that doesn't work in the UK. And Sam's UK and US advisors need to work together to make sure if there's any existing lifetime trust, these gets reviewed. We want to know if they are real trusts for UK tax purposes, which can be a big trap. So that needs to be looked at carefully. And the UK and the US advisors need to work together to dovetail planning to ensure that the UK and the US wills, if in fact she needs both, work together, don't revoke each other and um, and have a sympathetic or compatible trusts. So bad news for Sam. She can't just avoid a will and she can't <laughs> just avoid probate now that she's Sorry. linked to the UK. Um, right. So does that mean that she should just have an English will that covers her assets no matter where they are? Or should she be thinking about separate plans and separate countries? What's the best way forward there? There isn't a one size fits all always solution. It depends on her, her intentions, the nature of the assets, where they are. But as a kind of rule of thumb, typically we see 
a will for each jurisdiction in which you have real estate. Okay, straightforward. So we'll think about where she has houses and, yeah. and make a plan there. Yeah, um, and, and how you actually structure the wills will need to be thought out carefully, particularly if there are two of them, um, because it really ties into the tax planning. Aha, tax, our favourite topic. <laughs> um, so, so Sam, American citizen living in the UK, Chris is a Brit. Will they have to pay inheritance tax? What what is inheritance tax? What how will it work for them? Um, well, let's let's start off by thinking about the differences between spouse exemptions. Let's assume they put in place will and they do get married. Normally, spouses can leave assets to each other or into a trust for each other tax free. And in the UK, that's called the spouse exemption. And the normally then only inheritance tax will kick in when assets come down a generation or pass to someone who isn't a spouse. The IHT rate, inheritance tax, in the UK and the estate tax rate, which is the US equivalent, are currently at the same level. That's 40 percent. But the major difference is that inheritance tax in the UK kicks in at a much lower threshold than US estate tax. In the UK, the tax free amount, what we call the nil rate band, is £325,000 per person or 650 for a married couple. If we take into account a new-ish relief that applies to leaving your home to a spouse or direct descendant, then in the UK, a married couple can leave up to a million pounds free of inheritance tax, and the 40% kicks in above that threshold in most cases. We'll come back to the shares in the family business that we mentioned earlier, because these could be completely exempt from inheritance tax if they qualify for what's called business property relief. But let's let's park that. So we've said that inheritance tax for a married couple can kick in at 40% above a million pounds. Now, this contrasts to the much more generous tax-free threshold in the US, which they call the, the credit amount, of just over $11.5 million per person. So around 23 million for a married couple tax-free before the 40% estate tax kicks in. Wow, that is an insane difference. One million pounds versus 11, well, versus $23 million. Yeah, it, yeah, it's, so it, it's that's, huge. <laughs> so that's, that. I mean, in theory, I suppose it's not really a problem, though, until the second death. So Sam can leave everything to Chris, and then $23 million later worry about that, and Chris can leave everything to Sam, and then a million pounds later worry about that. Is that is that right? So we're only it's, thinking about tax on the second death, then? Well, it's not quite that simple. Um, because Chris is British and Sam's American, it's a little bit more complicated. They have what we would call potentially different domiciles. We're not going to talk about domicile in great detail. That'd be a fascinating topic for a different podcast. But basically, both countries don't want to see the assets leave their tax net. For example, if Chris leaves all his assets to Sam and then she goes back to the US, then on her death, all of his assets might be outside the reach of HMRC. So. Um, they'd be subject only to US tax and not inherit not UK's inheritance tax. Um, in a bid to avoid this, both the UK and the US limit the spouse exemptions for couples like Sam and Chris. So currently, Chris could leave up to £650,000 tax-free. That's his narrow ban plus a special one for having a, a foreign spouse. And then above that would be taxed to 40%, whereas Sam can leave her available credit amount, which is 11.5 million, which sounds a lot, but because it's a lifetime allowance, we have to know 
if it's been used up by any gifts she's already made. And obviously with older clients where there might be gifts on the clock, that can have a really big impact. Okay, so that actually is going to be quite complicated. So actually tax could apply on the first death if the assets are above that 11.5 million or whatever's remaining of it, or that 650,000. So not only will they have to find the tax, so they could have a liquidity mm -hmm. problem, they could also end up losing assets that they are actually enjoying as a married couple. Yes, um, and there are different approaches to how to deal with that. Um, I should probably just briefly mention that there's the UK-US Estate Double Tax Treaty, which can help in some circumstances, but it's pretty complex and although sometimes it can it can increase the spouse exemption to 50% of the estate, it's probably not going to apply here. If we had longer, we could talk about all the details. But in short, the US and UK have different approaches on how to solve this problem for clients. The UK would allow Sam to inherit Chris's assets without IHT if she nominates that, to inherit all of Chris's assets without IHT, if she nominates that in effect, her worldwide assets will come within the scope of inheritance tax on her death. But she might have a lot of assets outside the UK and that could be very unattractive. The good news is she doesn't have to decide now, she gets up to two years after the date of his death before she needs to make that decision. Whereas from a US perspective, the if the situation is reversed so that Chris, the Brit, inherits from Sam, the American, then her will needs to leave assets into a special type of trust that works in the US. It's called a qualifying domestic trust or a QDOT. And this is really quite restrictive. It restricts Chris's access to capital. And on his death, the trust is subject to US estate tax. This means that the trust would need to run for the whole of the rest of Chris's life. And this can be a headache and expensive. So, or if the clients decided they wanted to bring it to an end early, the would tax would, would come in, would, would bite you then if you want to bring it to an end early. So both countries do have different ways of deferring that tax until, so it doesn't actually hit you until the second death. But these come with complexity and costs. Yeah, that does sound pretty painful. So if Sam wanted to avoid the inheritance tax on Chris's death, if he were to die first, she would have to elect him to be to being taxed on everything, reducing mm -hmm. her nil rate bound to 325,000 and not having the luxury of the US credit amount. Whereas yeah. if Chris wants to do the same thing, so he Sam's died, left assets to him to defer the tax, he'll have to have that QDOT that you've mentioned which means potentially quite an expensive, restrictive asset, well, a trust holding the assets. And I guess that's yeah. a real problem if, for example, Sam dies whilst Chris is quite young, because you said it's got exactly. to be in place for the rest of his life. So it could be going exactly. for 30, 40 years, depending depending yeah, on what exactly. happens. Exactly. For, for so, very young clients, having a QDOS is often not a good idea. And sometimes we find that with young clients, they don't want to put it in. And some clients say, well, can I do it retrospectively? Um, in the UK, we're used to working with deeds of variation where you can vary wills within two years. Um, and the answer is it can maybe be done retrospectively with a QDOT, but you've got a much shorter time limit of, I think it's nine months? I think it's, I think it's nine months, exactly. So difficult, difficult decisions. Um, so, but also imperfect decisions because nothing, nothing sounds really straightforward. What if they just allowed that tax hit on the first death, so allowing that mismatch, having that tax hit on the first death, but finding a way of funding the inheritance tax charge or the estate tax charge? Um, I know both, well, both Chris and Sam have mentioned life insurance. Would that be an option for them to cover the tax charge? 
Yeah, absolutely. If there's not enough liquidity in the estate, so whether it's family business or home, if you know there's going to be a cash flow issue, then a really sensible option is to look at taking out life insurance. So if you can I guess take that out... comes with the same. Sorry, sorry. No, no, I was going to say I guess it comes with the same the same um, qualifications about you know are you healthy? Are you young enough? Is it going to be affordable? really so whilst they're young they could think about it now whereas as they get older it'll become more expensive to put something like that in place ordinarily. Yes and it's also it's not something you're going to get from your local high street insurer because we've got an American here we need that to be held in a special type of trust to keep it outside their estate an irrevocable life insurance trust they call it an islet and because it's a special type of trust if they're offered a standard trust document by any UK insurer don't take it. It's not going to do what they need you to do. I have to caveat that by saying, of course, we're lawyers. We give legal advice. Buying life insurance is a financial decision. So we can't advise on financial matters. And obviously that should be discussed with financial advisors. Of course. And you mentioned earlier the family business and there might be a way of getting them entirely out of UK inheritance tax. Is that something is there something they need to do now to, to get that? What what is what is that all about? Thank you for remembering. Um yeah, the, the shares in the family business, and I'm assuming here this is a privately held, so not a public company, and it's a trading business, not an investment company. If it meets those criteria and they've owned the shares for two years, then it should be exempt from inheritance tax if it qualifies for business property relief. Now, it's not a matter of having to do something now to qualify for it. But if that's something you are relying on, it's a good idea to have it looked into because there are certain issues that can be looked at, for example, too much cash in the business or what they call accepted assets or the business being subject to a binding contract for sale. Those can all jeopardize business property relief. So we should definitely look at whether there are any shareholders agreements in place or any plans to sell the business. But broadly speaking, this is really good news because it may be that that value can pass on completely free of inheritance tax without having to rely on the spouse exemption or any of the other planning points we've, we've talked about. So that's that's really good in terms of the inheritance tax. So if Chris owns shares in a family business that do qualify for business property relief, that's brilliant because that will ex well, I guess it will stretch the nil rate band so that more assets pass free of inheritance tax. Is there anything like that in the US or is Sam restricted just to the $11.5 million exemption? Um, no, I'm afraid at the moment, as, uh, as far as I know, there is nothing which would give them that same benefit from a US perspective. So I guess because they start off with such a huge allowance, um, which is possibly going down back to its half level of five and a bit million in 2025. But sitting where we are in in 2020, uh, who knows what the world will look like in 2025, that, that reduction may or may not happen. Exactly. So, yeah, as you say, the US exemption stops looking quite so generous when we take into account things like business property relief in the UK, which could extend to millions, millions of exempt assets, I suppose. Um, so this is, I think, really interesting stuff to feed back to Sam and Chris for them to think about their wills. And it makes sense, I think, definitely for them to have special wills in place. Think about having these kinds of structures, the qualified domestic trust, maybe life insurance, thinking about all those things. Do you have any last words of advice for them? I, I just say to them, look, don't be afraid. Don't put it into the too difficult pile. I know it sounds a bit complex, but 
it's not going to be that hard if you get the right advice and the, the, the cost and the energy involved in getting this right at the outset is going to be really well spent compared to the headache and the heartaches you'll be leaving for your family if you if you don't deal with it. Yeah, I suppose that goes back to the comment I made right at the beginning about we see we see it at the other end as well. So when you're dealing with a probate and somebody hasn't done the right planning or had proper advice and things can get really messy and uncomfortable and expensive, always better to turn out the bullet now. Absolutely. So um, do it and then and then feel glad that you've put it into the sorted pile. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Alice. Thank you. Lovely to speak to you. Thank you for listening to this podcast, part of our series following Chris, Abrit and Sam from the US as we unpack some of the legal issues that they face as they start their lives together. You can find the rest of this series at the Charles Russell Speechley's website or on Podbean, iTunes or Spotify. This podcast discussed the UK and US issues at high level only based on current law and revenue practice. It does not contain legal advice. If you or your clients would like to know more about any of the issues we've discussed, please email us on untangled at crsblaw.com. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. <laughs>